You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You are listening to episode 114 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yue and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have the most professional of culture editors, Han Win. Hey! Hey Han, are you ready for yet another round of uh, press conferences? And- yes, no, I'm not. Uh, a <laughs> tiny update since the last time we talked, um, where you were like, hey, get ready for Han being on press tour forever. Um, that was... That was supposed to start this week, and it was supposed to be 17 straight days um, in person, including nights and weekends. Uh, something happened where all of a sudden we had to pivot to virtual. Um, that something is BA5 um, and possibly yeah. monkeypox. Who, who knows? Who would have uh, thought that the ongoing <laughs> pandemic would put a monkey wrench in our mm, in-person plans? Monkey wrench, monkeypox, all of it. Uh, I heard someone got polio in New York, too. I don't know. Anyway. Wait, we... Hold on a sec. <laughs> I thought we eradicated polio. Yeah, you think? Um, anyway, so th- just everything is going to shit. But anyway, so we did have to pivot to virtual, which means that um, I won't be at press tour as consistently round the clock, um, but it will be taking place over many more weeks than I expected it to be. So uh, goodbye to the next few months of my life. Um, well. Yeah. <laughs> I am secretly happy because this means you won't be taking a brief hiatus from this show, which means I can right. still have a co-host for a while while Jess yes. is on vacation. Yes, absolutely. Because Jess's vacation looks fabulous and also yeah. still ongoing. So <laughs> I was just like, dude, how many places are you visiting? And I'm so envious. I know. She's like relaxing in Santorini right now. We're like dealing with monkeypox and BA5. Yeah, uh, I I only just want to go to Greece. Like, I don't even need to go to all the places in Greece. Just one place um, <laughs> with a cat, you know, by the sea, eating a lot of seafood. That sounds great to me. I mean, it's fine. We can't go to Greece, but we can go to Cousins, which is the... Um, is that a, It's not a real place, right? I, I, I don't think so. I think it's a composite. Because, <laughs> of course, this week, Han um, kind of forced me to watch The Summer I Turned Pretty, <laughs> um, which, which I did. And we have thoughts, and we will talk about that after the break. But before we get to the summer, I turn pretty. Let's find out what pop culture is bringing us through this week. Uh, Han, what's popping? Like many other people, I actually braved the uh, theater this weekend, and I watched Jordan Peele's new movie, Nope. Um, If you had no clue what to make of it after seeing the trailer, Um, You saw a lot of people with cowboy hats running around and saying nope and things in the sky. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I will sort of set it up. Um, Basically, there's a family. um, They're the Haywoods. They're known as a black family who are animal trainers in Hollywood. Supposedly, everybody knows that sort of like clip of a person riding a horse, um, that earliest bits of film Um, in the story of Nope. Supposedly, that was a great, 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 great grandfather of this family. So um, you come in and you see what they've been doing so far. Daniel Kaluuya is, uh, plays a character named OJ. And that is commented on in the movie. And his sister's name is Emerald, played by Kiki Palmer. Um, and so things, I don't know, things go, there's something afoot uh, around their horse farm or horse training facility ranch thing place and um somehow related to it is steven yun he plays a former child star who was in a movie called kid sheriff that was his big claim to fame a little asian kid who was played a sheriff and now he is sort of the the like lead performer investor guy owner of a uh, cowboy themed sort of amusement park uh, which is explains why you see him in those outfits um, there's also sort of a traumatic story in his path past um, that is related to what's going on with the current mystery uh, at the ranch and then one more guy who I think is really great there's a guy named um, his character's name is Angel he's played by Brandon Perea um, he's known for the OA um, and he plays a Fry's Electronics tech guy 
Um, and that's very important to the movie. And also uh, for those who are from L.A. and have no fries. Wait, yeah, fries as in the fries that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. As of last year, they folded. But anyone who maybe remembers them, each fries location had a theme. And the theme was so over the top decorated that the front of their store was always had a giant sculpture. So one could have like a giant, um, like, uh, well, the one that's featured in this movie and that was in Burbank, the one near me, had a giant UFO crashing into it. Um, there's another one that would have like SpongeBob. There's another one that had to have like, I don't know, some other things. Yeah, and my so local in- one was like cogs and stuff. It was like clockwork. Yeah. Yeah, and so sometimes inside they had, like, themed things, too. So mine also had, like, there's a giant ant or something, like, structure. <laughs> the the money they must have spent for what was basically kind of like a Best Buy, you know, was bizarre. It was better than Best Buy because they carried a lot of the um, more, like, hobby and prosumer-grade yes. stuff. Um, yes. I'm a big defender of fries because I got a lot of my computer gear from there. I'm kind of oh, yeah. really sad that they're not, they don't exist anymore. Um, I love fries. I was, yeah, exactly. I was able to get all the little things that the Best Buy was deemed themselves too good or too <laughs> consumer facing to. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically Best Buy if Best Buy carried what Radio Shack did. Oh, right? yeah. So yeah. Best Buy meets Radio Shack meets sort of like the hardware store sometimes. Mm. Um, and also, that's where I used to get my keys made. Uh, <laughs> just It was just a fun browsing place. They also had a lot of junk food. It was really good. They had, yeah, they had um, a cafe. I remember that. Yeah, uh, yeah, my my ex did not like fries because there was too much going on there. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like an overload, sensory overload. Anyway, getting off the topic, but fries has a really nice part in it. It's kind of a nice goodbye for me. Um, I might be writing a story about fries. We'll see. Uh-huh. But, I mean, um, you keep saying that there's something mysterious going on on this like animal ranch thing. And we've yes. all seen the trailers. We know it's aliens. It's aliens, right? I mean, I'm not going to confirm or deny <laughs> anything. Um, but... Yeah. Here's the thing. Whenever it comes to Jordan Peele, there's something afoot that maybe you think you know. And so I don't want to give anything away. I'm one of those people who can guess pretty easily if someone gives me a hint. So Mm. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Um, What I want to know is because uh the reviews have been coming in and they've been pretty mixed, both critical and also like popular. And I think this is the par for the course for a lot of Jordan Peele stuff because his first film was so well received that... You know, you kind of have that, I guess, curse that everything that you make subsequently is compared to your first thing, which is Get Out. Um, and it really looks like he's and, you know, based on his body of work, he it's clear that he's interested in exploring a lot of different things, but through the lens of blackness. And I mean, definitely from your description, it sounds like he's trying to say something about Americana and how, you know, the trappings of Americana is kind of not only forced, but also co-opted by people of color living in the States. And I don't, I don't know if this is where it's going, um, but all that cowboy imagery kind of invokes that for me. No, I haven't seen the film yet, so I might be totally off base, but um, it kind yeah. of seems like that's what he's trying to like explore. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that um, between Get Out and Us, the horror lens used to um, explore race and race in America or the experience um, it's kind of I think he's done that and I'm not saying that this won't actually address anything about race but it's not going to be the same type of stuff um, he is also a filmmaker's film- filmmaker he definitely um, refers to many things in the movie um, that aren't strictly about race but it's about but there are definitely are critiques <laughs> um, and so yeah I think this is something that's different Definitely when you were saying that, you know, we assume this this is aliens, maybe look in that direction as far as what are the films that you identify um, with as far as that, you know, examination. And and then maybe you can see whether or not he goes along with that or does something different. Um, Yeah, there's a just there's a lot of stuff with this movie. And I do have to say that um, while I'm somewhat mixed, I still appreciate hell of a lot of it. All the performances are fantastic. The images are, are amazing. It definitely does examine um, very lightly just because it's a movie that exists, the idea of black cowboys um, and the imagery and Hollywood stuff that we have there um, and the regular white cowboy <laughs> imagery <laughs> that we are used to. So just the fact that it exists 
um, challenges that. And so, um, I don't know. I, I What I think I like about this is at the end of it, even though I was kind of like, huh, I'm not sure what I think about this, even though I liked so much of it, I felt like every person who has watched it, I've been excited to hear what they think. And we've we've just kind of like gone in off on tangents when we've discussed it. And I think that kind of also just says it's a good movie. So Yeah. I mean, I think what I like about Jordan Peele's projects are, like you mentioned, he is a filmmaker. So he definitely has a point of view. You may not agree with everything he's trying to say, but I appreciate the fact that he is saying something and tr- or trying to say something, which... You know, these days with a lot of, like I mentioned um, this past week, Comic-Con had all their Hall H panels. So we got a lot of new Marvel trailers. And, you know, I didn't really feel Marvel fatigue back when everyone else felt it at the end of like phase three, the Avengers Infinity War. But like, I'm definitely feeling it now, especially as part of it is the fact that we have all the TV series now. So it's like constant, constant MCU. And you start to realize that sometimes they don't have much to say. Yeah, you know? I think we we've we've mentioned the whole Marvel's gonna Marvel sort of situation. We talk <laughs> about it with the third act, and it's because it's more spectacle than um, substance sometimes. And look, I like the spectacle just as much as everyone else, but I do think that after a while, it does get to be empty calories. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so you want to chew on something. Uh, this definitely lets you do that. So yeah, I guess my hope is even though there are a lot of mixed reviews and mixed feelings about his projects but i hope the fact that people are talking about it like the studios will keep letting him make new stuff because i think the worst thing that will happen is oh this isn't doing like 90 percent on rotten tomatoes we're not going to fund any more jordan peele stuff right 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 uh because i mean i still do think that like hopefully people want to stick with him but that's also why you support these movies um this is one of those movies i can definitely feel that if it comes on, I would probably just start watching it from wherever it is in, <laughs> in the movie. Because, as I said, it's like it's very there's a lot of really good things about it. Um, the number one being, thing being the performances. Yeah. But it just has lots of really indelible scenes. And each honestly, I feel like if we broke it up, like you can just enjoy a scene and not need more than that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, overall, I, I, I thought it was interesting and. Um, there were definitely some parts where, like, I was in an audience, so I was kind of gauging reactions, too. And I think people were kind <laughs> some people were confused, too. <laughs> but they also, like, reacted in the same way during parts where I did. So that was good, too. Yeah. And I just want to say I love that, um, you know, as an auteur filmmaker, like a Scorsese or a, um, or a um, who else does this? Um, or like a Michael Mann, Jordan Peele is assembling his stable of go-to actors. And now that includes Daniel Kaluuya and Stephen Young. And, you know, I just want to see them in more of his projects, too. I will say Stephen Young um, was in the Twilight Zone series that Jordan yeah. Peele did. So he this is now another. And so, yes, I, I, I love the fact that he is now a go-to guy. Um, <laughs> and I, I just... Look forward to all the good ones because here's the thing: there's some people I don't want to say I'm kind of sick of, but like what you I watch a lot of Netflix and they use the same stable of stars, which is good for them. But also, I'm just like I kind of need some other things. <laughs> so I I would love this Jordan Peele cinematic universe. I would like to see more of everybody who because I think he also picks interesting people. Yeah. Um, not you know yes, of course, a lot of these are commercially like popular people but i think he also picks people who uh has have something to give so love kiki palmer like we've seen her in so many things but this one i think is such a great role for her so um yeah go watch it and tell know tell me what you think yeah it's on my two watch list as soon as you know monkey pox mba5 goes away for a little bit <laughs> You can wait until another big movie opens, and then you can go watch it in the 10 o'clock screening. <laughs> the 10 a.m., that is, uh, where nobody's going to sit next to you. Um, anyway, so that's me. Uh, what's popping with you, Marvin? Uh, what's popping for me is it's getting close to the end of the month, which means it's time for me to catch up with my book club um, pick. As people know, I have a book club podcast called Books and Boba, where we read 
and discuss books written by Asian and Asian American authors. And since I am who I am, I tend to wait until the last week to finish the book that we're reading. Um, so this week is my catch-up week for our book, which is Before the Coffee Gets Cold. It's a Japanese novel um, by Toshikazu Kawaguchi. And it's a story about a cafe in Tokyo that allows its customers to travel back in time, but only as long as they return before their coffee gets cold. And so um, it's a series of vignettes about like this coffee house, which is kind of like a it's I think it's a genre or trope in Japanese fiction. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of animes about it, like, you know, Polar Bear Cafe, um, Isekai, Isekaya. There's a great Netflix series called um, Tokyo Midnight Diner, which is kind of like this where, um, you know, every episode someone comes in and they tell like an individual story through like a meal that they get served. So in the same way in this novel, there are four stories, each featuring a person who comes into the cafe looking to go back in time. Um, and it can be a lot of different ways, either something they regret, something they want to revisit. And the story follows them as they navigate that, right? And along the way, you also get to know the staff of this coffee house, you know, the proprietor, the waitress who's like deadpan, um, the regulars who just come and make fun of everybody. And if you're familiar with this type of story, it's another one of those, but with the sci-fi twist, which is really fun. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, and my favorite part is, so... The thing with time travel stories is there's a lot of rules. You know, if you want to get into the weeds, there's like paradoxes. And, you know, if you've seen the the series Dark, which Han recommended (laughs) to me, time travel can go pretty far up its own butt, right? (laughs) Um, I have a quick question. Is anyone their own ancestor? (laughs) So not yet. So what this book does really well is set aside, like really lay down the rules of its time travel and it doesn't get into the weeds of like string theory, grandfather theory, all that stuff. It's just like, no, these are the rules. You just, have, you just, you just have to follow it. And when people ask why the rules are what they are, the answer is those are just the rules. This is exciting to me because I do like the whole midnight diner slash. There's a video game I played called Hungry Hearts. That's very <laughs> much like you were saying that genre of. Uh, a place, a gathering place for people to eat, a very gentle place, <laughs> and then learning each person's story. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to, but also, I do like time travel when time travel rules apply. I don't like time travel just to, um, I don't know, like meet historical people and have romance and sex. Like, you know, Outlander to a certain point isn't always about time travel and after a while that's why i kind of like got like kind of got over it i don't think Alan was ever about time travel it was just about having sex with scottish men i mean there was a little bit of time travel hinkiness there but yeah you're right like that that became just its own sort of like historical romantic fiction you know genre but yeah i like time travel where time travel was important um and the paradoxes or whatever things like that but even the fact that they make the rules here i very much respect because um i mean look sci-fi in general is about establishing rules and every time travel story has to establish which rules apply to it so i like that this is very uh laid out for you yeah so basically the rules of time travel and i just read the first story so far and it's the setting piece for the series so this is where they go over through exposition the rules of time travel which is number one, you can only meet people who have previously visited the coffee shop. Um, Rule number two, (laughs) no matter what you do, you can't change the present. Uh, Rule number three is, so you can only travel in the past on a specific seat in the coffee shop. And there will always be a time ghost taking up that spot. And you can only take their seat if the time ghost goes to the bathroom. What? Rule number four, you can't leave your seat once you travel to the past. And rule number five, your time travel trip lasts until your coffee becomes cold. If you don't finish your coffee and return to the present before then, you become the time ghost. The whole time ghost thing is intriguing to me. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, so, feel, I feel like I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I reading the book so far, I'm like, they should make this into the next yes. Netflix Japanese yes. limited series. You know, I would watch this and then everyone <laughs> would talk about how gentle it is. And um, and soothing. Uh, yeah. I would love this. I feel like we need more cafe um, AU, but also cafe like shows. Um, yeah. yeah. I wonder why this hasn't like caught on in like the States. I would watch a, I mean, I guess there's cheers and like, you know. Yeah. That's, 
But that's not quite shows. the same because Cheers, uh, while I love Cheers, um, it, everything takes place just there. Whereas this is, um, I guess this is more anthology. So then you follow yeah. one character. Um, yeah, you follow and, a place, which is like. Yeah, the the place is kind of like incidental to the, you know, what's going on with the one character at per, I guess, episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the place is the setting and then you get to know the characters, but everyone comes in with their own story, you know. Yeah. Um, this woman regrets not telling her lover not to move away to, to America uh, for a job. This person regrets having a fight. This person, you know, has... You know, everyone. You know, everyone regrets something that they've done in the past. Um, this is very relevant to uh, what we're going to be discussing later for the summer. I turned pretty, and <laughs> you know, sometimes you just want to go and see if you can have a different perspective on what happened. So, yeah, the book is before the coffee gets cold. Um, I think there are three books now in the series, and oh, actually. In October 2021, it was announced that SK Global are going to develop, finance, and produce a television series adaptation. So it is coming. That makes sense. <laughs> because we yeah. were like, I'd watch this. Apparently, they did think of it. <laughs> oh, and there is also a film adaptation, too. Films could up. probably work. Yeah. They probably, they need to adjust it a little bit to <laughs> tie it all together. But yeah. yeah. So definitely check it out. And if you're interested, we will be discussing this book on the next episode of Books and Boba next week. So tune in there as well. Uh, But on that note, let us step away from the Time Travel Cafe and travel back to the summer we turned pretty with the new (laughs) Amazon Prime original series that we watched based on the novel series by Jenny Han, which we'll be discussing after the break. So stick around. We're still here, and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. Host the podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we are discussing The Summer I Turned Pretty, the new American coming-of-age romantic drama television series created by author Jenny Han, now streaming on Amazon Prime Video, based on her, I guess, debut novel series? Sorry, this was her first... Series. Like, novel, right? Uh, Yeah, well, she wrote a younger kid's book. I don't want to call it a kid's book because I don't think it was like a picture book or anything, but <laughs> it was... Um, Okay. Not YA. It was a little bit younger than like that. Like a middle grade type of? May, maybe middle grade or younger. So, mm. um, yeah. So, but this is the first teen YA series, like trilogy that she wrote. Yeah, so this so is, this, this predates um, To All the Boys, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, she even had another trilogy after this one. So oh. To All the Boys is two trilogies later. Oh, wow. And so you can definitely see the sort of uh, growth um, in her characterizations and storytelling and stuff like that. From yeah. Her. The Summer I Turn Pretty follows Isabel Conklin, um, known to her friends as Belly, as she goes on an annual summer vacation to her family friend's beach house in the fictional Cousins, which I guess it's like, is that like a Hamptons or like a, I don't know. Seems, seems like it. Picard like type of 
I've rich never been resort place. Yeah, I've never been to any of these types of places, but they all seem very similar to me. So yeah. <laughs> Um, so every year, um, Belly and her family, which consists of her mother, Laurel, and her brother, Stephen, go on this vacation to uh, spend summer with um, Susanna, who is Laurel's college best friend, and her two sons, Jeremiah and Conrad. Um, the twist is, this year, Belly hit puberty, I guess, and <laughs> is now hot? Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this will be the first summer vacation where she has to deal with her hormones. And so, and thus, why Asian shenanigans occur, there is a love triangle because she's always had a crush on the eldest son of Susanna, Conrad. Um, but apparently everyone else in Cousins is also in love with her because she is a YA protagonist. Um, yes. Summer shenanigans ensue and everyone learns a lesson, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the first season of the right. show because it has been renewed for a second so not everything is quite resolved um but certain things are revealed yeah <laughs> all right han you read these books um and now you've seen the series what did you think of the summer i turned pretty so here's the thing i had a friend who read to all the boys and they read summer i turned pretty and she told me she's like i didn't really like the summer i turned pretty series she's like i read it but i didn't like it i was like okay i'll get around to it before the series comes out <laughs> and then lo and behold series comes out and i was like oh fuck so i would i read the back cover of the book and i was like this sounds like sabrina that audrey hepburn movie where she is the chauffeur's daughter and is hanging out with the rich kids two sons um she has a crush on the uh, younger good-looking playboy son, but ends up with Humphrey Bogart, who is the older uh, stick-in-the-mud son. So I was like, this is, maybe this is like a flip? I don't know. Anyway, I just like that they acknowledge that in this um, series because they did not acknowledge in the books. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just FYI, there's a reason why they go to a drive-in movie and they watch Sabrina. Um, so I did read the books. Uh, let's just say... I ver uh, I understand how hard it is to write novels, <laughs> and especially when you're writing about teenage hormones and stuff like that. This is the first series that Jenny Han did. She definitely grew as a writer by the time she got to To All the Boys. Maybe it's a good thing that she really was able to capture the messiness of this teenage hormonal like explosion where all of a sudden she's, it's not like she's just getting a crush on people, but they're like liking her back. So I found it super, super messy when it came to the characters. So Belly is the main character and her crush Conrad is also very messy in the books. Um, and I kind of didn't ship them, which is not what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> you're supposed to be shipping these characters. And I actually ended up feeling sorry for quite a few people. I finished the series and I was just like, huh, I see what my friend meant. But then when I tuned into the show, I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, because I think uh, since Jenny Han is also an executive producer, on the show and however many years has passed, she was able to maybe see the the holes in her story and the way that you could explain more. So while Belly is still a messy teenager who definitely strings guys along and, <laughs> and is fickle as hell, um, you kind of get a more rounded version of her here. I think the actress who plays her is great. She's very charming. And so while I still think she's kind of messy here, I've, I don't want to say I forgave her, but I felt like there was so much else going on that I was like, that's fine, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's definitely, and again, yeah, Lola Tung, the actress who plays Belly, is definitely acting her socks off, right? Like, I mean, I think part of being able to forgive her for being a hot mess is the fact that She's active like a teen, so you can kind of accept that. And, you know, YA summer pop isn't usually my thing. And so, <laughs> but like a fun summer jam, um, this show definitely had a lot of great energy and a lot of great vibes, which was really great. Um, even though I hate, like, I don't know, even though I kind of hated all the main characters. Um, yeah. I here Here's the thing. Um, similar to Belly, uh, her crush Conrad seems to do a lot of things that are hateable 
in the series, both in the book and the TV show. The TV show gives a little bit more explanation for his actions, even though they still don't, they're not like supported still. You can still talk, you know, and explain yourself before you do the awful thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I still think that personally, I'm still not shipping them. I, I would like to see maybe something different happen, but uh, <laughs> as the series goes on, but maybe that they will actually, you know, give them some character development yeah. in different ways that will make us come around. Because here's the other thing: I acknowledge that in my teens, as a high school student, I did not date. Um, <laughs> there was nobody I wanted to date, but I think about it, and if I had dated, or if I all of a sudden became popular because I became pretty, I probably would have been messy too. So <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um, I think it's messy and I hate everybody, but that's only because I'm old and (laughs) cynical. But everything was believable. I mean, the the situations that Belly finds herself in and also all the main guys, Jeremiah, both Jeremiah and Conrad, both brothers who are who make up this this very like hot trash love triangle. Um, I I am personally on the record here. Not a fan of love triangles, (laughs) love triangles with brothers. I just find really icky. Um, I know it's not incest, but it's still like it's that's just a messiness that like I run far away from. I mean, uh, and also not only brothers, but also childhood friends. Yeah, they grew up together. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to I don't want to poo poo that because a lot of people do eventually like, you know, they are friends first and they start dating. So that's the whole friends to lovers thing. So but that does mean that, like, say, you know, someone when they poop their pants <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're hot. I don't know. Um, that never occurred to me in my lifetime, but doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and to I your think, point that yeah. like, um, and to your point that, you know, kids are just messy. Like a lot of belly shenanigans in this film reminded me of like that first weekend of college, especially for kids who grew up sheltered, um, like myself, maybe um, who attends their first college party and drinks for the first time. And everything, because everything is new, everything's kind of heightened and you do some extra dumb shit. And yeah, and this was <laughs> series was pretty much Belly's first college party, but over a whole summer, just doing dumb shit. Yeah. I mean, definitely, if you want to fa- uh, fast forward, rewind to my freshman year of college, <laughs> the amount of alcohol I drank actually probably through all four years of college um, because I was like super healthy and apparently I could metabolize alcohol like nobody's business. Mm. Um, So yeah, you can call it the same equivalent. She has only one drunken episode in this series. That's probably not realistic. (laughs) Um, She probably would be drunk a lot more during that summer. But uh, yeah, I I think it was. Yeah. I mean, she's discovering her power uh, as a sexy lady, I guess, um, as <laughs> as a woman and really flaunting it. I mean, I want to believe that the show is in on the joke. Yeah, I think I think there I don't know. I, I definitely think that I've already seen some things that have changed from the books. Um, there's some things that make me wonder, like what's going to happen if whether or not it's going to continue the trajectory of the characters that we know or if they're going to change it. Um, The major difference, I would say, there's a couple major differences, but one of the major ones that is different from the book is that um, the world that Belly inhabits in the book is way narrower. There is no debutante stuff. There's no club stuff. Um, all that plot about being asked to the dance and and Conrad being forced to ask her and all this stuff, that happens weirdly outside of Summer. So they're not even in the same place and his mom forces him to ask her to prom and that makes zero sense to me. Um, (laughs) So yeah, for them, I thought it was a very clever twist to make only Summer and Cousins be the um, the centerpiece for all of this drama. So they created the debutante ball thing. They t- created the club. There was no volleyball tournament um, in the book. So that's why, like, all of these things are just exciting to me to watch. Because I was like, oh, finally, we actually get to see Cousins. Because in the book, it's basically she goes to one party and then she hangs out in the pool uh, oh. the whole time. It's just so boring. Like, it's, it's all, like, interpersonal drama. And so this opens up the world 
we get to meet Steven more because he's only kind of like a side character doing something else over there in the books. And so I think they, um, Jenny Han and whoever else was helping, you know, like create this, this TV series definitely opened up the world and um, gave the mom, Laurel and Susanna, actual personalities. They're not just the moms. Yeah. I think that's a strong, that was a strong move because I mean, the debutante ball, while it is like, <laughs> you know, as they've, lampshaded in the show kind of a problematic type of tradition is definitely something that would happen in a community like cousins where oh yeah all the rich people live and it really seems like they did a good job expanding the world to fit a television series and this is something that we've both had issues for with other adaptations which is sometimes they don't do enough adapting to make it suitable for a television show and you know with this show there's like a plots b plots c plots you know all of, both moms have their own subplot that has substance to it, right? And I haven't read the book, so but it sounds to me like the book's mainly focused on Belly and her drama, which yeah. if I were reading that book, no offense, I'm sure a lot of people love reading the drama, but like as again as an old curmudgeon-y dude, I'm like I wouldn't be like if, it's, if this entire show was just Belly and her love triangle, I would I I I don't think I would have finished the show. I was so angry reading it. <laughs> to admit and i think uh i think ya has changed a lot since these were written also that they definitely give more um story and depth and things like that to um these characters beyond just the central romance but just so yeah being aware that the central romance is is pretty much what the whole trilogy is about when you read it um the tv show gives way more um so I, the other thing I think we should point out is what is different from the book. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing, I think, is the fact that Belly and her family are now mixed race, right? The mother is now a Korean woman, and that means both Stephen and Belly are a mixed race, Korean and Caucasian. And I was surprised that that wasn't the case. And, you know, thinking back, since this was Jenny Han's first book series, I, you can speculate that maybe the original scripts were written as white because that was what she needed to do to get that book published. And now that we have entered a new age of representation, um, she's able to, you know, add some of her own color to it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's actually probably precisely it. If you look at her earlier work, all of her characters are basically white girls. Um, And she has mentioned, I think, when it comes to To All the Boys, she had to fight to keep the character. um, The character in To All the Boys is also half Asian, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And to have an Asian on the cover of the book. So it wasn't until her third trilogy that she was able to get that to work. And so now, of course, it's like, yeah, if I'm going to be adapting this for the screen and we are allowing Asians now to be protagonists, then yes, she's going to fix it. So, um, yeah, that, that you know, gave the a little bit, I don't even just say color to the show. It was just nice to see because, honestly, I the last thing I want to see is a lot of rich white people, you know, enjoying themselves. That's why I don't watch you know, all the reality shows that people tell me to watch about rich white people doing <laughs> stuff or just a lot of rich people in general. Um, but yeah. uh, I will make exceptions. Apparently, I watched House of Ho. But um, but that was in Houston and they were Vietnamese, so I was just curious. But yeah, so this one actually, because it had a lot more diversity in it, they were also able to interrogate the idea of wealth and class and stuff like that here. Um, and the extra thing that we got with the mom. Uh, do you want to talk about Laurel? Yeah, I really liked Laurel's story. I really liked just everyone's story besides the main <laughs> trio, to be honest. Um, you know, Laurel's story is she is a, I guess, a struggling novelist trying to market her latest novel. You know, she's learning that you have to be on Instagram and all this like stuff to be, you know, a successful author these days. Um and, you know, she's visiting her friend, Susanna, who is her best friend from college, but, you know, is from a different world. She's a rich white lady who owns a vacation home in 
cousins, right? Um, and, you know, her children are starting to rebel as teenagers. You know, Belly is becoming a hormonal teen. Um, Stephen is already a hormonal teen. And um, in the midst of all this, she's recently divorced. And, I mean, the biggest thing is, and I don't know if this, this is a spoiler. That, about no, you can, you can, you can yeah. introduce them. Yeah. yeah. Um, the biggest thing, thing she's dealing with is that this will probably be the last summer they'll spend together in Cousins because Susanna, Conrad and Jeremiah's mom, is relapsing into her cancer. And so there's all this stress going on. Plus, like, you know, Belly is rebelling, you know, dressing sexy, sneaking out in the parties, participating in this debutante ball that she's just really stressed out. And she finds her release in, I guess, having sex with uh, a rival author, Cleveland Castillo, who is pretty much channeling like Filipino Mark Ruffalo is what I kind of saw him as. Yeah, this Cleveland Castillo character, which I kind of loved because, you know, he's a successful author in that, like, everyone wants him to, you know, they all have his books in the bookshop. Um, He's asked to sign all the, you know, copies. And he has 150 plus Instagram followers. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of like... 150K plus. Yes. Okay. Yes. 150K plus followers. And so it it's something that she's initially kind of resentful of, but then it's like, well, you know, let's see what's going on. And they have they find common ground besides the fact that they're both writers and they talk about, oh my God, you know, I don't want to have to write about the Asian American experience, you know, whatever <laughs> that even means. You know, um so I like that commentary. I think that's just I, Jenny Han projecting. Yes. To be honest. <laughs> absolutely. This is why I was just like, you can tell Jenny Han is like, I have got things to say. Um and you know they have like sex in a car i was very excited about that too because <laughs> i was like yes you can show a mom who who is now divorced divorced yes um mm-hmm. and uh just she just needs to get some some sort of release out there um so that was fun to me um yeah the other side story that i really loved was steven's side story with his romance with shayla which i kind of wish this was the show we were watching i want to watch poor boy rich girl like reverse crazy rich asians because out of everyone in the entire show these two actors um sean kaufman who plays steven conklin and minnie mills who plays shayla have like the best chemistry in the entire show and i don't understand why we did not just focus on these two yeah uh this is another thing that i have to say was added because even though we see steven a little bit in the books Maybe he's mentioned as dating someone somewhere else, but he doesn't really get much of a plot in Cousins. Again, Cousins is always about just just the trilo- these three people, and um, he's always like coming in and out of the the room and just like, "Hey guys" or whatever. So the the fact that they gave him a plot, I also liked it that you're right th- that he's dealing with the um, the wealth gap there. <laughs> You know, um, he's working at the country club. And yeah, he's, he's getting tips, but he's also facing racism a little bit. I was so invested in his story. Like, okay, I need to save money because I want to go to Princeton. I'm going to work at this um, poker room um, with these racist white dudes who keep saying just the worst, like not the worst shit, but pretty severe microaggressions and. Learning to have to deal with that to make money. And not only did he have the best chemistry with Shayla, his love interest, he had better chemistry with the two brothers than I think Belly did. Yeah, uh, I felt for him because it kind of reminded me of my twin brother um, <laughs> in that, you know, he he does definitely care about appearances, but also that requires money if you're a guy because you feel like you're the one who needs to, you know, live up to and be the leader and all this other stuff. And since she's the one who has money, he really feels the pressure. Um, yeah. So I, I just, oh God, I want to be like, be like, it's okay, dude. <laughs> she's yeah. into you. <laughs> and, you know, he just as messy as his sister, but I really feel like he learned from his experiences and is like actively trying to become a better person, which is more than I can say about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's a little messy too. Uh, There's a, there's a untoward, uh, a very ill-advised makeout session with someone else, let's just say. But, you know, he, he realizes where it came from. He says it comes from insecurity, you know, um, (laughs) that he doesn't feel like he's good enough for Shayla. And so he's, he was kind of basically like, you know, self-destructing himself but it feels like he does actually acknowledge the things he does that are bad and then he moves on from it 
So, uh, whereas Belly, I'm kind of worried about her. This is also why I'm hoping because so many changes have taken place in the series that they will change Belly's trajectory a little bit um, for the next season um, and give her maybe different things to (laughs) deal with. They've already, for example, um, there's this sort of mini plot line with her necklace that, um, uh, that was in the book, but we didn't get to the necklace until the third book or something. Something bizarre, which made no sense. So I'm glad they just put it in this first season. So, um, yeah, I and uh, the other person who I liked and I liked in both the book and in the series is Cam. Poor Cam. Oh, Cam. Poor boy. He (laughs) deserved better. But also, good job dodging that bullet, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I like the fact that the there's a girl named Nicole who basically calls out Belly and calls her a fuck girl because <laughs> because she's just like she's dating Cam but all the time like she doesn't really care about him and is just still into Conrad and uh, I got to tell you in the book it was even worse like I w- I wanted to even at least here she's she seemed to be a little bit torn like yeah, you are a nice guy. And she'll actually acknowledge that and be like, yeah, this was fun hanging out. But yeah, once she starts just ignoring whatever he's saying, that's when I was like, okay, you got to cut, cut him, cut him loose. Um, Which is sad because he would have been good for her. But, you know, she's at the age where she wants the drama. She doesn't deserve him. You know, (laughs) (laughs) let's just be clear here that Belly is the character who definitely needs to grow up the most. Uh, So... I guess it might take another season or two for that, but uh, it was a yeah. trilogy, remember? So. I know. I've actually read ahead on Wikipedia <laughs> on what happens later on, and man, I am. Huh, I, 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 that's the one thing I want to point out where I don't know if I want to spoil anything in case they do it, but I do say, besides the fact that they made um, the Park family Asian this time around, which was good, they also made Jeremiah the other brother, um, bisexual or pansexual. Um, so, you know, he's making out with all sorts of people in in this TV show. I just wonder if or hope that they change something in the future that's in the books or else that might be implying something about bisexuality that I don't think is fair. Um, so, but mm. here's something about Jeremiah. The casting was weird, right? <laughs> He doesn't look like the brother of Conrad. I mean, you know, all all these white people look the same to me, so. Oh, I don't know. I felt like he was Latin looking, but he had blue eyes. Well, he's very tan because he's He's a lifeguard. lifeguard. Yes, that worked a little bit, but. And I did did notice that as the summer went on, he got tanner and tanner, (laughs) which was, you know, a good good attention to detail, I guess. It was also funny because I was like, I feel like he still would have been better at volleyball. <laughs> I was so confused. Uh, I like sports and TV shows, but this was this was kind of the volleyball scene was kind of yeah, meh. It, because it wasn't about the sport. That's the thing that I think a lot of sports and TV shows forget is you need to make the sport actually exciting. To watch also because that can tell you a lot about the story and the characters. But here they just gave you character stuff. And I didn't care about the love triangle, which is what, again, it was. So, um. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think it says a lot that even though the central love triangle was, was bad, um, yes. <laughs> there was still enough there to make this a very enjoyable show. And again, like I want to see the spinoff where Sheila brings... Stephen back to Australia to hang out with her rich parents and he has like a reverse crazy rich Asians experience yeah. because again I am way more invested in his relationship and I hope those two kids make it work than uh, any of Belly's like prospects I did have a question how did you like the dance sequences you know <laughs> it was fine I was I don't not think, expecting I, I that I wasn't expecting like sexy Regency dancing but it was sweet it was fine you know it, no, I mean, I definitely wasn't expecting sexy Regency dancing. It was just, this is where I know that this is meant for YA audiences, where <laughs> they have a choreographed dance, two of them, two of them, um, during the debutante ball. And where I was just like, I don't know if, I, I think I needed it to be funnier. 
um, or 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 something. But the the first one was funnier, which was all the guys um, dance together, all the escorts. With um, so that could have been funny, um, and it was fine. But I think the one the couples dance was supposed to be the big romantic moment for YA audiences, and I was just not having it. <laughs> it didn't sell for me. But then it again, wasn't. Like, I mean, it was it was more of like a. It wasn't like I said. It's not like a. It's not a dance with longing, right? It's more like awe. It's you know, it's it's a sweet, yeah, YA dance. I don't. I yeah. think we were we're projecting too much of what we want and what the show actually is. Well, sweet YA. Here's the thing. Here's the show that could have done it. Is Heartstopper. If you want like uh, swoony YA teens, like just holding hands and maybe looking at each other's eyes, sort of romance, Heartstopper is so good at that. If they had a dance sequence, you they would have killed it. I feel like this was just more of like a sort of a fairy tale trappings. That, to be fair, I am not a fairy tale type of person. Uh, when it comes to the things that I like, like my wedding, if I ever have a wedding, would never be like anything. Like, I don't care about that stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess the big dance is something maybe young girls would look forward to. <laughs> uh, didn't do anything for me. But I, I'm just happy that the older characters are actually interesting and funny. Um, and that, you know, a couple of the teen characters were pretty decent. Shayla's too cool. Yeah, I really like that they um, set her up as like a drama queen, but she really subverts that. I mean, unless there's stuff mm-hmm, that we haven't mm-hmm. seen yet. She's told like, again, I'm rooting for Stephen and Shayla. They better stay together in season two or three. I, I want to see more of them. And I will put up with, um, <laughs> what was it? Story. Team Bonner and Team Jelly, Jelly to, um, yeah. to get more Stephen and Shayla. Yeah, I you know what? I think when it came to Shayla, this is my guess, total guess. I don't know if this is true or not, but this is very similar. I get the feeling similar to Stranger Things where they cast someone in a supporting role and end up falling in love with the actor and their portrayal so much that they gave them more to do. Um, So I'm hoping that is the case when it comes to the whole Shayla Stevens storyline and they up that. All right. So um, as we wind up our conversation about the summer, I turned pretty. um, Han. Is this good pop? Yes. I and I don't want to just say because it's better than the books. It's way better than the books. Um, and I like what they did with it despite the central love triangle. So, yes, I, I after you hear this, if you think it sounds interesting, I think it's very well worth just tuning into and watching. It's enjoyable. Yeah. I also think it's good pop. Um, you know, summer, summer teen dramas is Usually the domain of, you know, privileged white protagonists. And I like that they updated the script and relationships to reflect, you know, changing the characters to um, different ethnicities. Not only adding, you know, Korean characters, but also Chinese characters, um, black characters, uh, Filipino characters. And again, I will accept the dumb love triangle because the vibes are still good. And at least the other family members seem to be having a good time. So, um, yeah, I think um, I think if you're looking for a fun, breezy summer watch, you can do worse than The Summer I Turned Pretty. Um, in fact, you might actually like it in spite of, you know, <laughs> the messiness. Yeah. And if you like drama, maybe you'll love it. So. Yeah. Tons of drama. We cannot we we, we <laughs> I think we cannot emphasize enough how messy this girl is. And I think that's part of the charm of the show as well. All right. Well. Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? I am on Twitter at Hanonymous. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yue. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Um, you can check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, we'll be back next week for another edition of Do We Want This? Our monthly Asian American entertainment news roundup. But until then, I'm Han. Good luck with your next round of TCA and we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Hey Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? 
I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 